Okay. Romans chapter 2. We left off in verse 5 and 6. That's where we left off. And if you weren't with us, just kind of a a recap uh, of the first few verses, and and we'll make that quick. Uh, Verse 1, you'll notice that it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable. Um, And as we talked about, when you see the word therefore, it's connecting to things that were um, before. And so the things that we're studying in in chapter 2 are piggybacking on... You know what Paul had started to teach, what the word, what God had started to teach in chapter one, and basically it's the end of chapter one in verse thirty-two. We see here that um, that we see these decrees of God that Paul has um, established or or mentioned. So whenever he says in chapter two, verse one, therefore thou art inexcusable, um, O man, whosoever thou art, the judges. It's on a, they're inexcusable because of these decrees, these things that Paul has already established. And so we've also um, talked about the fact that in chapter 1, Paul is generally dealing with Gentiles, pagan, um, irreligious um, uh, people who, who've denied God. Where in chapter 2, he's going to get into, or I should say get onto the religious, especially the Jew. And so he's he's. In, in chapter 1, he's introduced what righteousness really is. Verse 17 is where he says um, where that comes from. Romans 1, 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so he's established uh, where righteousness comes from, and he's also, through, through the rest of chapter 1 there, and also... In the preceding chapters afterwards, he's establishing the fact that that man needs righteousness, and in order to be righteous, who does he need? God. Because no one is going to be declared righteous on his own deeds. And so that's where Paul is really going with all this, regardless of what your background is, Jew or Gentile, Gentile, whether you consider yourself uh, a moral person, uh, like some of those that Paul was dealing with in some of these these cultures, or, or... Um, somebody who could care less about morals or right or wrong. Paul was saying that the whole world is guilty before God. And so that's why we see here in Romans 1 and 2, and especially in Romans 3, um, Paul laying out uh, what he's going to uh, pretty succinctly say in chapter 3, which we'll go to in a second here. Um, But what he's doing here in chapter 1 and 2 is showing that man is in a desperate situation. Uh, a very desperate situation uh, for God's righteousness. Man can ignore it all they want, but there's going to be a day in which they're going to be able to ignore it no longer. And so man is desperate. Whether he admits it, whether he knows it, he's in a desperate situation for God's righteousness. Because apart from God's righteousness, uh, there will be none. And so as I said in chapter 1, he presents a case against the pagan and the um, irreligious Gentiles, and now he's moving on to the religious Jew. Um, and then he kind of, like I said, in chapter 3, turn with me there, um, keep this in mind, chapter 3, starting in verse 9, keep this in mind, what we're getting ready to read here, as we continue on in chapter 2. Because here in chapter 3, like I said, he puts it um, straight to the point, he's very succinct about it, and 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 um, let's know, you know, uh, 
no one off the hook. Start in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Keep that verse in mind because we'll, we'll be um, referring back to that later uh, this morning. There's none that do good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit, their poison of asp as under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who were under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so here we see that for the Jew who thinks that, uh, that he can get righteousness from the law, we can see it specifically said that by the law no one's going to be declared righteous. And so here we have the two people groups. You have those, the Jew who, who thinks that um, he can be righteous because of the law. And then you have the Gentiles who, who you know, because keep in mind, if you were a Gentile, you were um, in a place of rejection before God because even the Gentile was called to come into the Jew, become a proselyte. And so these two different people groups, Paul is, is laying, it, laying it bare that, that there is none righteous, no, not one, is ultimately what he's saying here. And so that's what chapter 2 and, and 1 is really getting to. Um, and so any questions before we pick up here in verse 5? Because I want to talk a little bit about wrath. Any questions on any of that? Good. So nobody here thinks they're righteous without without Jesus Christ. Okay, that's clear. So, um, But looking here in, in verse 5, um, we, we got to this verse at the end of last week, and, and I think that it's important to understand uh, what this wrath is because there's a lot of confusion in the world. Verse 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, in other words, you haven't repented, is what it's referring to, you treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so here he, he brings in the, the concept of the day of wrath. And there is going to be a day of wrath. And again, there's a lot of confusion out there, even amongst Christians. There, As you know, there's the pre-trib group and the mid-trib and the post-trib group. All of those things have to do with this idea of God's wrath and our place with it. And when I say our, I'm referring to the body of Christ, not just man in general. Um, we believe here, I teach, uh, a pre-tribulation rapture. And the reason for that is, is because there is a day of wrath and we are not appointed to it. And so you have to understand uh, what the day of wrath is. And the day of wrath is the day of the Lord. And so it's not just, a, you know, 
something in which God is going to react, um, you know, out of emotion. It's a day that He is He is planned and, and spoken about for for a long, long time. It's a day in which there's going to be a reckoning for man's rejection, both Jew and Gentile. There's going to be a day for that reckoning. And so look at Zephaniah with me. Zephaniah. Bless you. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Zephaniah chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So what is the day of wrath? Who, does it, who is it concerning? And it is really, really important to understand it. Maybe you do understand it, but um, if you, there are certainly many who don't. One of the questions I get oftentimes by email or, or even phone call is pertaining to the tribulation period or pertaining to the um, God's wrath. And so there, there is a lot of confusion amongst Christians. Or even quoting, maybe they, they're even confused in the sense of, of, of thinking, well, I believe in a pre-trip rapture, but then they're using verses, especially in Matthew, that are referring to events during the tribulation and they think they apply to them. And so you can't, you can't say that you're not a part of the tribulation and then try to apply to yourself verses that are speaking about the tribulation. Matthew 24 through 27, guess what that's talking about? So guess what it's not, who it's not talking about? Not talking about us. If it's talking about those in the tribulation and you're not in the tribulation, then it's not talking about you. So Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12 says, And it shall come to pass at that time... So God here is obviously speaking about a specific time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Um, Really referring to God as a, a God of justice. In other words, God is not a God of justice. He doesn't act justly and he doesn't judge justly. Verse 13, therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and hastes greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds, a thick darkness. Does not sound like fun, does it? It's, it's, that's what it is. It's God's wrath being poured out on rebellious man. This is what the day of the Lord is. Um, as we can see, you let Scripture interpret Scripture. The day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath. That's what it is. And so whenever we see Paul mentioned in Romans 5 that those who are treasuring up things against the day of wrath, if we are going to, as we're going to see, not be appointed unto that, then he's obviously talking about those who aren't saved, those who aren't members of the body of Christ. And so... You have to pay attention to those kind of things. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Obviously, the book of Revelation, we've moved into the time of the tribulation period. All of the book of Revelation is, um, at least my opinion, after the rapture. There are those who will teach that the church, the body of Christ, is in the first three or four chapters. I would disagree with that. John is taken in by the Spirit into the day of the Lord. Okay, And so he's, he's literally taken into the future, and he sees the event of the day of the Lord. And so here in, in, in Revelation chapter 7, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, it says, For the great day of his wrath, notice capital his, is come, and who shall be able to stand? Most commentaries I used to read say the day of the Lord was on, on uh Sunday, yeah. you know, and no, you're right. Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, very smart Bible teachers, and again, I won't name names. Um, John McCarthy. There you go. <laughs> uh, he named him, uh, but that's who I was thinking of. That does does say that uh, that at the beginning here of, of Revelation that it says taken into the the Lord's day that that's referring to a Sunday. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't fit any of the context. And so and we see that this, the whole context of the book of Revelation is about Israel going into the tribulation period. And so here again, we see that what's going on here is, is the day of God's wrath. And so as, as we're going to look at a couple more verses. And so if you have any questions about the, the difference that what we're talking about here... Um, Again, keep in mind, you are not appointed to God's wrath. And there's one big reason for that. And that's because Jesus, God, already took your wrath for you. Jesus is not going to submit his body to wrath a second time. Which means for him to allow us, members of the body of Christ, remember, our salvation, our justification, uh, all of that thing is based on our identification that we are no longer ourselves. We are made in the image of Christ. And therefore, if I go through that day of wrath, it's like crucifying Christ again. That's the difference between member of the body of Christ and the nation of Israel. And so you really have to understand identification um, uh, to understand these things. But um, look at Revelation 19. Verse 15. Revelation 19, verse 15. It says, And out of his mouth, obviously his mouth is Christ Jesus, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. One of the big things that you also have to understand why people get confused is they want to apply um, scriptures that are referring to the second coming. They want to apply that to the rapture in the body of Christ. We look forward to Christ coming again. Whenever Christ comes during the tribulation, those people are going to tremble in fear. Okay, We don't have to tremble in fear at the appearing of, of, according to Titus 2.13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
two different events. And so uh, the tribulation period is, is a day of God's wrath. And it's a day that was um, uh, prophesied. One of my favorite Old Testament events, turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 61, is uh, an event that takes place in Luke chapter 4 when Christ goes to Nazareth. You guys remember when Christ goes to Nazareth and he opens the book um, to read, read from the scriptures? And he reads Isaiah um, 61, 1 and part of 2, I believe it is part of, is it, it's not 3, right? It's, yeah, it's part of 2. Uh, he doesn't finish all of 2. And there's a reason for that. Look at Isaiah 61. Verse 1, it's, again, Jesus, whenever he goes to Nazareth, and he's basically making the declaration that the Messiah is here, he, re- he, he, he reads these scriptures. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus closed the book. Why don't you think he finished verse 2? Because that's referring to something that has to take place later. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So he doesn't quote the rest of this. And you can go to Luke chapter 4, and that's when the event takes place, and he purposefully closes that. And so there, this day, this future day that's going to take place... Um, is is an event that is is has been prophesied for a long time. Look at Isaiah sixty three, verse four. Isaiah sixty three four says, "For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come." And so, knowing that there is this um, this day that is coming, and if you go to Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, you will find that the day, the day of the Lord, that uh, the day of God's wrath was, was appointed unto Israel. That's who it was appointed to. If you're familiar with the 70 weeks of Daniel, uh, most people forget that just before that, because Daniel is praying, because he's praying about the prophecies, and um, Gabriel, the angel, comes to him and he says, I'm bringing the answer to you that you asked God for. And he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people Israel. How many of those weeks are done? 69. How many, what is one week? Seven years. There's one week left. That's why it's called the seven-year tribulation. And so that one week, again, it's not the Gentiles aren't going to go through it, but God appointed 70 weeks upon Israel. And so Israel is going to go through that tribulation period going to go through it, and it says in Daniel 9 why? To make amends for their transgressions. They have to go through that. And so, but guess who doesn't have to go through that? We don't have to go that. See, we haven't replaced Israel. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that all the promises made to Israel, good ones and the tough ones, are going to come, come to be. Um, but us, we're not that. We're not appointed to that. Look at Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
So you can see the context. When the Bible is talking about the day of God's wrath, the day of the Lord, when it's talking about those events, there's a context. It's a clear context that Scripture gives us talking about what is going on. In Romans chapter 5, verse, verse 8, look at this. Starting in verse 8, But God commends His love toward us. Now he's talking to believers, body of Christ believers, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That ought to give you a big clue where he's getting ready to go on that. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be what? Saved from wrath wrath through him. See, what what this is saying is is that we were, were, you know, how, how does it word it here? But God commended his love to us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us much more now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. So this is why we know that we're not going to be part of the tribulation period. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved from what? Wrath. The day of God's wrath, we shall be saved from. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It's interesting that that's thrown in there too. We have received that atonement, meaning we've received that that buying. We've been been bought. We we, we have these things. We're not going to go through through the, uh, the tribulation. And then for those who didn't catch it in Romans, go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. The Thessalonians, is um, actually we see a number of times Paul is trying to Uh, remind um, the Thessalonians of things that he had previously taught while he was there. And and one of those things is obvious um, in these two books that he taught them about the fact that they're not going to go through God's wrath. Um, But they've been stirred up in the spirit to be scared. And if you go to um, uh, chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians, you see that he basically is having to deal with that issue. But here in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, he says, uh, well, let's get verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, living and true God. And look, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Context is clearly talking about that same thing we just got done reading in Romans chapter 2, the same thing that Paul talks about in Acts chapter 17 when he's dealing uh, with those when, who, who, who made a, a statue to the unknown God, and Paul is saying, wait a minute, that's the one I'm declaring to you. God winked at man's rebellion, but now he commands everyone to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge that day of wrath. Now, we should get excited and be able to say hallelujah every single day because as bad as life is here on this, this, this side of heaven, whenever it comes to God appointing out his, his wrath, 
we've been saved from that. Amen to that. Yeah. And that uh, verse 10, the word delivered is past tense. Yes. It's complete. Yep. Yep. It's, and, and that's the thing is it's not a hope so, it's a no so, you know. And, and so we should be able to... Um, we should be able to, to understand, we should appreciate, we shouldn't doubt it. You know, if you doubt, that doesn't mean, okay, you haven't fully trusted. There are some people I know that have counseled, well, because I doubt it, does that mean that I, I don't really believe it, I'm not really saved? Look, I don't think we need to overcomplicate things. Did you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Did you believe that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you trusted in his finished work? Yes, okay, it's done. You've met the, the requirement, you know, quit trying to listen to Satan who's going to try and scare tech. Yeah, there. Uh, would an example of that be uh, the apostle uh, Tom, uh, uh, Thomas? Doubting Thomas, and Jesus wasn't upset with him at all. In fact, he, he, he uh, encouraged his inquiry and proved to him by mm-hmm. showing him the uh, wounds in his hands and side. Yeah, and, and the reason. You know, is is again, if we doubt, it, it's going to cause us problems. Uh, it's not going to change. Like I said, for the body of Christ, you're saved and it's done and over with. There, there's nothing that you can do to change that. You no longer even own yourself. It's kind of like, and I use this all the time, I got a vehicle out there. It may not want me to be the owner, but it doesn't have any say in the situation, does it? And the same thing for you when it comes to Lord Jesus Christ. You may one day say, you know what? I don't even want to believe this anymore. I don't even like what the Bible says. You know, hopefully you don't have that. But there are those who do that. We see that a lot lately today whenever it comes to the, these, these worship, um, uh, charismatic worship groups that, that all of a sudden they renounce their faith because they believe that the Bible is, is somehow, uh, you know, homophobic and racist and all this kind of stuff, you know. One, I, I, I don't know that they truly understood Jesus, because uh, Jesus was certainly not racist. Um, but, uh, but, but the idea that they could you know, just turn away and walk away, I, I can tell you, if they were truly saved, and I'm not saying they weren't, but if they were truly saved, they'd no longer own themselves, and they can't walk away. And so it's the same, the same reason why we cannot go through the day of the wrath is the same reason why we can't walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, I, I would offer just my own personal experience. If I hadn't doubted it, I probably wouldn't have. I mean, he used that to convict me, mm-hmm. really. And there's a there are a lot of people that have um, atheists that have converted because they couldn't disprove it when they really got yeah. into yep. it. So, yeah, and so... And, and I'll share with you. I mean, it doesn't happen anymore. And, 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 I, and I say that in the sense that I'm not saying that it won't ever happen again. But I can tell you in my Christian walk over the many years as a believer, there were many times in which I, is this really true? Is, is God really real? And, and, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. Uh, but the great news is, is, is that I'm quickly and always was quickly reminded um, and oftentimes it was through creation. And I think I've shared this with you before. In those moments of doubt, I would happen to look out the car window and look up and I would see the, a beam of light coming through the clouds. And I can remember this happening more than once, seeing that and saying, oh, I'm supposed to believe that happened on accident, meaning creation. 
Something that beautiful happened by accident? That just don't make any sense. And so instantly God's word comes to mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so the word of God is going to be there. And so, yes, the doubt can, um, can, can, can drive us to question um, and also understand that um, you know, it should drive you to the word of God is what it should do. Do you have your hand up? Yeah, I, I, I think, too, like even for myself, having had those moments, I think it it's just we, in, in some ways, you're just so awestruck by how powerful, how, you know, little, we're just this drop in the bucket and this big, I mean, it's hard to even, yeah. you know, imagine. And so you're like, you know, sometimes you can even like, wow, how can this be? You know, it's yeah. just so big. Yep, it is. Very much so. All right, any questions? On, oh, Rich, sorry. Just adding on to what you two were saying. One of the best uh, ways of getting an opening to witness to people is after a hunt, sit around the campfire and look up at the sky. Mm-hmm. And first thing people say, do you think we're alone? I say, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I take them to it. And uh, sometimes it seems to work, and other times, you know, they're, they're convinced that They'd rather believe in UFOs than uh, mm-hmm. the God of creation. Yeah, and that's what Roman one des- describes: those who, who, who knew the truth, who held the truth in unrighteousness, and ended up just denying God, uh, and the same. Yeah, Wendy or the or Dick. father who had the son healed in Mark and said, you know, I believe, but please forgive my unbelief. Um, you know, every once in a while, when the, that doubt comes, is that you know Satan throwing his I think we all do at some point for the most part, but I can tell you again, uh, I haven't had, had that issue myself, um, well, definitely since I've been a pastor. And, and, and again, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, making sure that, and we're going to be talking about this later, um, what are we feeding? Now, I do think that Satan, he, Scripture makes it very clear that, that he fires darts at us. Sometimes we make the mistake and we venture too far away from fellowship with believers, from, from um, listening, to, listening to the Word, from the study of the Word, and so we make ourselves susceptible to it. Um, but yeah, Satan is, is going to be there to do that. And so um, he's the father of all lies, and that's what he is called. And so to him is attributed all of those lies. And so uh, don't be ashamed of the fact that you have those, have those feelings. Deal with it. Go back to the word of God is what you need to do. And, and so that you can be strengthened from it. Um, which is why um, it, when, it, when it comes to Ephesians chapter 6, whenever you put on the armor of God, the very first thing you do is you put on the truth. And you put on the word of God. And so... That's why it's so important. I think just like her remembering that, that is God bringing it to remembrance mm-hmm. so that you can spur yourself back in the right direction because it's so um, it's so easy to... I think it helps us recognize that our humanity, we do. We, we, wanna, we say we believe, but then, okay, am I really giving you my true belief? You right. know, all of me. Is there something holding back? And usually sometimes there is, but just that God brings it to your remembrance mm-hmm. uh, to me is, is what his word says he'll do sure yeah yeah I agree we can we can understand that um, um, he's on our side 
And so this is why we study the Word of God, so that we have that tool. I saw one of those memes here recently um, that um, a Christian a Christian who doesn't st- study the Word is like a, a soldier without, you know, any, any weapons, you know. And that is Jesus. What did Jesus do whenever he went to the wilderness and was tempted of, uh, tempted of Satan? Um, yes, he was God himself. What did you say? Prayed, and he also what did he use to what did he spout back to to say scripture, the word of God. That is, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and so that is that is your strength and that is your rock. Whenever, um, and that that's also why Jesus is called the living and the written word, and, and so that's how it's it comes together. So, did you want to say something too, Derek? I thought uh, I, no, I was just um, that's also one of the armor of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. All right. Good comments. Uh, verse, verse six. So back to Romans here. Uh, verses six through eleven. I don't know that we'll get through that in seven minutes, eight minutes. Um, but ultimately, the, the the theme of these verses here is God is not a respecter of persons. Okay. So again, he's he's dealt with uh, you know the, the couple of different groups. And, and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter sixteen. And again, I'm going to have a little difficulty getting through all of this um, in that short amount of time. You know me. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 and 19 says, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God gives thee throughout thy tribes. And they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift does blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. And so here God is establishing how Israel is going to set up judges throughout the nation of Israel. And so he's talking about a just judgment, talking about not taking bribes. Don't be a respecter of persons. So what does that all that tell you about God's character? That he's a righteous judge, that he doesn't take bribes, that he's not a respecter of persons. All of those things are how God is. And so keep that in mind. And go back to Romans again, Romans chapter 2 here. Read verses 6 through 11 and... And again, we'll have to look at that more next week. We'll read, read these verses in, in their entirety. Verse 6, Who will render to every man according to his deeds, which that ought to be a scary thought, shouldn't it? Yeah. Who wants to hear to be judged by God according to your deeds? No, thank you. I think I'll rather be judged according to Christ's deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Let me, let me give you a hint that, um, that God has set up a righteous standard for judgment, that if you continually do good, seek to glorify God, if you um, seek eternal life, if you do this a continual way, continual way, guess what? You'll be judged righteous. Guess how many of those people there were? Yeah. So your chances of meeting this um, are, are, are pretty much none. 
and, and so to them, uh, whoever that may be, that one would only be Jesus Christ. He's the only one because these, these people don't exist. Verse 8, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of a man that does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So here, again, there's this idea that there's a righteous judgment, and so there's no respecter of persons with God. Just like if, if a judge in Israel, in Deuteronomy that we just got done reading, if a judge was to take a bribe, that would make the other prisoners who are in jail pretty unhappy, right? Or it might make the, those who are um, in, we'll use this situation, if, if, somebody, if God was to allow somebody into to, to heaven without there being a righteous judgment, um, there would be a cause that you could have against God because he wasn't just. And God made sure and told Israel, you need to make sure that you judge justly. God will judge justly. And so he says to the Jew first, and also there's going to be to, that we see here, to the Gentile. Um, and again, as we read in, in Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, no, not one, um, and that there is none that can claim this um, um, ownership of having eternal life based upon their own actions. None can claim that. Therefore, Again, we see how desperate man is. Because if you're not the first group, guess what you are? The second group. And so we see Paul is tying in chapters 1, chapters 2, and he states it plainly in chapter 3, there's none righteous, and he's delivering an, an, uh, an indictment against all of mankind and the need for right, Christ's righteousness. And that's ultimately what's, what's going on. Um, you know, that basically, um, even, even though... No one uh, met this first standard of, of continually seeking God and continually to seek God's glory um, and obeying the truth and all of that. Just because no one's going to meet that standard, um, it, it, it's there because, you know, that's the truth of the situation. That's the, the, the standard in which God is going to judge. But it's also uh, the manner in which... Uh, that standard was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it was that standard which is what's allowed us to take on Christ's righteousness because he did meet that standard. He did continually live up to that standard. And so we can see that God is a just God. He's not a respecter of persons. Um, and so those that uh, who do not obey the truth, um, again, verse 17, if you look down here a few verses, notice what he says. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resist, rest in the law, and make thy boast of God. And so again, we see here that Paul is really, um, it's not applicable only to the, to the Jew, uh, but Paul is dealing really with the Jew here. But then notice Romans chapter 10. Put Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Knowing, the, knowing what the situation is um, for Israel, Paul has a heart's desire to be, for them to be saved. Um, but they can't rest in the law. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says here, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel 
is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but what? Not according to knowledge. Well, and you see what we just read here in in, in chapter 2 here, but unto them that are contentious and what? Do not obey the truth. So the Jews, they have a zeal for God, but not according to the truth, not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for him, but not according to the truth. And so all, and this is why we see here in chapter 2 what Paul is dealing with is that, that Jew who wants to rest in, in, in the law. This is why he says that um, by the deeds of the law, no man shall be justified. And so we see how all this stuff is, comes together here. Uh, in verse 12 of Romans 10, he says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich and unto all unto all that call upon him. And so, um, understanding that God is a righteous judge and that he is going to judge righteously, there is no, there's no favoritism with him. And so, going back, and I'll try to make this quick, Romans chapter 2, go back to Romans chapter 2, and we'll see if we can't get through this. Verses 9 through 11 here. Um, notice what it says um, in verse 10, to the Jew first and also the to the Gentile. There's a lot of confusion as to what this what this has to do with. You know, Paul had a habit, uh, you know, of always going into the synagogue first. And so what does this mean by the Jew first? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, Israel did have a, fa- a favored situation. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verses 6 through 8. And I'm going to go quick for time's sake. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says, For thou art a holy people. Who is he talking about? Jews, Israel. Unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, and from the hand of Pharaoh. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to the thousand generations. And so here we see that God has chosen the nation of Israel. So does that mean he is a respecter of persons? No. Well, that's not that, that. This is where people get confused. It's not that he's a respecter of persons. Look at Romans chapter nine. Romans chapter nine, verses one through five. I say the truth in Christ; I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why is he continually sorrow? For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, Israel. Who are Israelites? To whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh? For those new to rightly dividing, pay attention to this verse. Um, for those, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, who, where did I lose myself here? Who are the followers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, 
God bless forever and amen. So what is Paul talking about here? He even says it straightforward. Does the Jew have an advantage? Yes, in many ways, in many ways. And so it's not that God is going to judge them on an easier standard. That's not what it is. They had privileges. Um, They certainly had privileges, but it's not a lesser judgment that they get. And so, yes, they had the privileges of all these different things. Look at Ephesians 2. It becomes more uh, clear when we look at this. When Paul is talking to Gentiles, we see that Israel had advantages. That doesn't mean that they're going to be judged on a sliding scale. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Help if I was in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul talking to Gentiles. He says, Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, disadvantage, and strangers from the covenants of promise, disadvantage, having no hope, disadvantage, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you two, who were sometimes or far off are made, by, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so we can see as he continues to go on that he, Christ is our peace. He's broken down that middle wall of partition. That thing that separated us between the Jew and Gentile has been broken out of the way. And so here he talks and he names these advantages that the Jew had. They had these advantages. But we, um, go back to Romans, Romans chapter 3. That doesn't mean that they're going to get, like I said, judged on a sliding scale. Romans chapter 3, start at verse 1. It says, what advantage then has the Jew? This is the question to hand. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. If, if, if there isn't a sliding scale, if God has no respecter of persons, but at the same time to the Jew first, what does he mean? How do we reconcile this? Well, here's what Paul talks about in Romans 3. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much, every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They were given what the Gentiles didn't have. They had that thing called the Old Testament. They were given that. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So we see here that the Jew did have an advantage. But just because they had the advantage doesn't mean that God is going to somehow circumvent his righteous justice and judgment. And that is kind of what what the Jew was banking on. This is why even Jesus had to tell them that God can raise up from these stones sons of Abraham. Remember him saying that in the Old Testament? Just because they were children of, uh, uh, from Israel doesn't mean that they could circumvent God's justice and righteous judgment. And so that's what he's talking about here in, in Romans chapter 2, um, verses 6 through 11, is that God is no respecter of persons, even though um, you know, God went to the Jew first, but he also um, went to the Gentile with this message. Does that make sense? Yes. I know a lot of people 
from my past, uh, the women like to use it because there's no uh, no respect or a person, mm -hmm. and that they have the same rights, I guess, as the men do, which is not what I feel like you say in here. It's more, right. it's all about salvation. Yes. Because if you read further, it has distinct distinct roles. Yeah. Yeah, we, sh we should never look down on um, somebody because of, 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 well, really anything. We should never look down on anybody, but especially because they're a woman or whatever. We have defining roles, which is no different than we shouldn't look down on our children. There's a defining role between a, a child and a parent. There's a defining role of a husband and a defining role of a, of a wife, and it doesn't make her any less. If anything, in my eyes, it makes her more. So, Any, any other questions?